Our scripture today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through chapter 5, verse 10. So we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For the slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan longingly to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, if indeed, when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden, because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this day and for this opportunity that we have now to receive your gospel message proclaimed to us anew by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we recognize that we are your servants in this moment. And so speak, Lord. We, your servants, are listening. Amen. There have been times when I could have lost heart. These times, more often than not, were accompanied by big changes in my life. You know, like, well, like when I graduated from high school and I had this terrifying thought, how in the world do I do this whole like adult thing? Or like when I picked up the phone to hear the news that my grandfather had passed. Or when I returned home dazed and confused my, from my first day of seminary thinking to myself, what in the world did I get myself into? Or that time when I got to the point of utter exhaustion after months with my newborn son, and I shook my fist at the sky, and I begged, am I ever going to get a good night's sleep again? To which God resoundly answered, no. <laughs> like each of you, there have been many challenging times in my life. I recognize, though, that my experiences are those of one who has had a, a lot, enjoyed a life relatively free of trauma. I've never been starving or abused or abandoned. 
The sum of my difficulties amounts to the need to rise to a challenge or make a grade or grieve appropriately for a life well lived. I've never been in foster care, bouncing from house to house, even across state lines. I've never faced the death of a child. I don't have to adapt because of physical or mental disability. I don't have to go down and eat what they're serving at the soup kitchen because I've got food at home. And, and those Methodists sure do put together some good potlucks. You know, like the one we're going to have after church today? You know? I've never been homeless or lost. And yet, even though I do not currently struggle with such problems, still at times, I struggle not to lose heart. Another thing that makes me lose heart is the polarization I see in our society today. People seem like they just don't like each other anymore. You, you hearing me? Our public lives, both within the church and the community, are increasingly defined by our outrage at events, ideas, and people with whom we disagree. We have now had what we call social media in our culture for over 15 years. Can you guys believe that? Facebook first appeared 15 years ago this year. In this last decade and a half, the role and influence of social media on church and society has developed so quickly that we've struggled to understand its impact. Others of us have avoided using it altogether, seeing it as a negative influence that consumes the attention of young people and draws them away from good Christian values. Well, there's one thing that we know for sure, and this is it, is that social media and other things like it is a place or a space, if you will, where people express unmitigated snark and outrage, sending messages to people through a screen that they would never say in a face-to-face -face conversation. But you know, I mean, to be honest, maybe there are some of us who would anyway, if we were face-to-face, -face, right? Sometimes these hate-filled online tirades just strike a nerve in other people, and it leads that outrage to go what we call viral. It spreads everywhere, and it rises to a fever pitch that subsides just as quickly as it grew. Every event in the news, from mass shootings to public protests by fringe political groups to tweets from world leaders, can spark fast and furious online conflict. And then, like a flash in the pan, the outrage burns out, and everyone moves on. But they don't just move on. They move on to the next thing that they are upset about. And when I get real cynical about it, I think to myself, when did we get so bad at treating people like, uh, well, like people? And the truth is, this awareness that we have of humankind's inability to treat one another well it's as old as dirt, and it's for good reason because, well, Facebook isn't the one that caused us to be mean to each other. It's our own sinful desire and our sinful nature that causes us to be mean to each other, and this behavior continues to spread in spite of the fact that we already know it's the wrong way to live. The ancient writer of Ecclesiastes, out of his exasperation with such meaningless behavior, wrote a simple proverb which speaks to us today. He said, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides 
in the lap of fools. And we all need to take that advice, even when we fail. There are many things that cause us to lose heart, my friends, whether it's struggling with change or stress or adversity or the craziness of the world or on the being on the business on the business end um, or the or the giving end of, of people's outrage. We recognize our many difficulties in life. Friends, there always have and there always will be difficulty, struggle and strife in our world. And that's part of the reason, I think, why the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church, encouraging and challenging them in the midst of their struggles, struggles which included their disagreements with one another. Of the many exhortations he makes, one of the most significant was when he wrote these simple words, we do not lose heart. And I think this is what he was saying. When life threatens to unsettle and unravel us, when we feel like we are going to have a come apart, when our feelings get hurt, when we just start to get settled into a community only to find out it's time to move on, when we don't like the way we see people treating one another, no matter what comes, the inspired words of Paul speak into the midst of all that struggle and all that chaos. And Paul's words, they challenge us to see our situation in light of God's will for our lives. Hear this again. Paul's words challenge us to see our situation in the light of God's will for our lives, rather than focusing on what is happening in this moment. And better yet, Paul's challenge to not lose heart, it's no pie-in-the-sky inspirational saying. It's not like that foolish man who wrote these words. You've, you've probably heard these before, or you saw them on a sign somewhere. Shoot for the moon, because even if you miss, you'll fall among the stars. You guys have heard that before, right? When Paul says, we do not lose heart, he means it. This is no abstract, inspirational pop psychology. Paul believes in the real power of faith in Christ, that it holds for those who embrace it. And he is willing to, to defend his belief by sharing five reasons why we don't lose heart. Now, we know there are five in this passage because of Paul's use of the Greek preposition, gar, because that's, that's the pirate preposition, gar. And yet, none, of, none of them have laughed at that this morning. <laughs> you think I would have given up by now. <laughs> well, anyway, it, it's a preposition in the Greek um, that's conjunctive for all you grammarians out there. So it, it connects different sentences and different parts of the sentence together. And it means to provide a reason for or why. Right? And so each of these reasons um, could be an entire sermon. Um, but since I only have one left to preach to you, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, all right? Um, so here are Paul's five reasons why we do not lose heart. Reason number one. Momentary suffering leads to eternal glory. Do you believe that? Momentary suffering leads to eternal glory. This is a teaching about perspective. You see, what is right in front of us is what takes up the most of our view, but it isn't the whole picture. Your current struggle, my current struggle, is not what will be in the, in the end. 
this crazy world that we live in, it may get crazier tomorrow or it may get better, but in the end, God is still in control. Moreover, Paul urges us not to lose heart because he does not want us to take our focus off of our eternal destiny. If we remain faithful and seek out God's will for our lives in our present circumstances, I ask you, how much more will we experience the glory of God in the end? And so we do not lose heart, Paul writes, because momentary suffering leads to eternal glory. Secondly, our body is not our home. God is our home. Do you believe that? There is a sense in which Paul is reminding us that our real self is not only our physical body, but also our soul. In his words, we hear the echo of Christ who said, who will gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? Think about it. Which part of your body gives you courage or fear, hope? Do you believe, as the atheists do, that our entire existence is defined by the firing of synapses, synapses across the brain? Because if that's true, my synapses don't fire very good, and so I'm in a lot of trouble. Or do you believe there is something greater than our current existence? Is God your home? If so, then what do all these current struggles truly amount to? If so, then does God not walk alongside you in your struggle? Is it possible that there is more than what is happening right now? And so we do not lose hope because our body is not our home. God is our home. And third, we yearn for something more than this life has to offer. We do not lose heart because we remember the greatest struggle we face is not the thing that presents itself to us now, but instead our desire to enter into the home for which we were created. Paul calls this our heavenly home. I love how Paul uses the word tent to describe our physical body. Because a, a tent provides shelter, but it is only meant to be temporary. And also, tents are for those who are on a journey. They aren't where they came from, and they haven't gotten to where they are going. They are on the way. And along this journey, we tent dwellers are being renewed by our God. How amazing is that? And so I ask you, do you see your life as a journey toward God? How might God use your current circumstances to move you forward? Do you trust that your life is in God's hands and that he is leading you to your true spiritual home? And so we do not lose heart because we yearn for something more than this life has to offer. And I hope you won't give up until you've attained it. And fourthly, we trust in what we believe, not in what we see. Because what we see more often than not, well, it's ugly, y'all. This is where the rubber really hits the road for the life of faith. Paul understood that if we allow it to, 
our present struggles will always lead us to bitter cynicism. If we only focus on what we can see, then we are guaranteed to lose heart. Folks will talk about one another. Folks will hurt one another. Folks will push their opinion and demonize those with whom they disagree. I'm not saying that we ignore everything that's going on in the world. I mean, after all, how could we when we live in a 24-hour news cycle and the headlines tell us horrible things that happen in the world and celebrities and world leaders say and do crazy things and we see the disasters and the floods and the violence and the hatred? How could we miss all of that and not be concerned deep in our souls that there's something wrong, that something about this is not right, and we need to do something. And so I don't think Paul is calling us to withdraw from the world and ignore its problems. Instead, what I think that Paul is saying is this, that we don't let ourselves believe that all of that is all there is. That there is some silver bullet that we need to find to fix it, or some new way of structuring society or doing a new thing or writing some laws that will somehow put an end to all this misery and suffering, even our own. Because friends, we don't put our trust in the world. We put our trust in God. We lean wholly on Jesus' name as the old hymn goes, and we do not lose heart. And so where do you put your trust? Do you put your trust in God And if so, how do you know? And so we do not lose heart because we trust in what we believe and not what we see. And finally, we do not lose heart because we will answer for how we lived. At one point or another, we'll answer for what we did or failed to do in this life. For some of this, or for some of us, this may be a harsh word to hear. We serve a God who has seen it all. He was there in the beginning when the world fell apart, when he, and he was there when he started to put it together again. He knows the numbers of hairs on our heads. He made us. Fearfully and wonderfully, he made us. He made us for a reason. He made us strong and resilient He made us for himself and for one another. He made us to be salt and light in the world. And maybe this is a hard word to hear, but no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we've been through or the struggle that we now face, God is a loving and perfect parent who expects you and I to do what he created you and I to do. And we will be held accountable for that. So don't lose heart, Paul writes. Don't lose sight of what is truly important. Keep your eye on Jesus. And so there you have it, the Cliff Notes version of the five reasons why we do not lose heart. And that's what I wanted to share with you on my last Sunday as your pastor. You know, as I take my leave from you, I wanted to take this last opportunity to encourage you and to challenge you to be present, to have faith in what God is doing in your life, in this church, and in the world. I know it's easy to get negative about things. I know it's easy to lose heart. I know you get bombarded each and every day. I know that you struggle. But my friends, I encourage you, as Paul did, 
don't lose heart. Remember who you are. You are a child of God. My sisters and my brothers, do not lose heart. Remember who you all are. You are the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, to be the living presence of God in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit, to do what Jesus created this church to do when he commanded his disciples to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus had commanded them. And then he promised his people that he would be with them even to the end of the age. And so he is even now with us here. Friends, we don't lose heart. I urge you, don't lose heart. Remember where you are going. You are going to your heavenly home. You're not where you came from, and you're not there yet. You are on the way. My friends, I beg you, don't lose heart. Remember the purpose of your life, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. My siblings in Christ, remember, we do not lose heart. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the children of God said, Amen.